This edition of the Heart of Giving podcast is honoring the BBB Luminaire Award for Service Winners. The award honors individuals who prioritize philanthropy and have made a meaningful impact through their charitable initiatives. The award celebrates qualities of compassion, volunteerism, and community leadership. We hope you enjoy this episode. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. You know, from time to time on our shows, we like to focus on artists and musicians and others who are in the field of arts. Because, you know, through art, we can really find our way to unity. We can find our way to peace. We can find our way to enjoyment, to excitement, and many other positive attributes that enlighten our souls. And frankly, put us in a position where we want to offer that to others. It lights us up in a way that very few, I think, fields can. The arts have a way of illuminating us. And interestingly, we have just announced the winners of the first Luminaires for Service Award. I say we, I mean the BBB Wise Giving Alliance in partnership with the Better Business Bureau of the Pacific Northwest. And we have decided to award several individuals in the Pacific Northwest region for their service and for what they have done to shine a light on others or to help others see the light that may be dimly seen by themselves. One individual today is here with me and we want to spend some time talking about his work. And that is William Kendall. And Will, for the last 28 years, has been a part of an organization called the Artist Mentorship Program. And the Artist Mentorship Program provides vital music, art, education, and support services to youth experiencing homelessness. They take music and the opportunities for young people to perform and learn a craft and uplift them to help them deal with the underlying causes of their homelessness, which generally stems from trauma. And we're going to talk to Will about what motivated him to get into this business. We're going to hopefully hear some of his music or some of the music that the young people have created. 
And we're going to learn this story. And I got to tell you, just in talking to Will a little bit about what he's done, I know you're going to be inspired and you're going to want to go out and make sure that you're contributing in a way that enlightens your soul as well. Will, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Art, thank you for having me. So let's get into it. Let's talk about what it was that got you going with this concept. Where did this concept of art mentoring come from and and what made you decide to make it now a 28-year career for you? Music saved my life as a child. It was so important to me and as it is for all young people, you know, I always say rock and rolls for the kids because it really speaks to the energy of the youth. And for me, I was no different. I, I was inspired by music growing up in the 70s and 80s. I think it was like a golden age of, of music. And I was inspired. I wanted to be a musician and I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to be on stage. And, you know, I remember going to concerts, seeing the Beastie Boys and seeing Sonic Youth perform, and I and I just was inspired to want to pick up a guitar and and be on stage and perform and have those opportunities. And for me, those moments, those the, the way music saved my life, is no different for the kids nowadays that we see coming into AMP every day. In some ways, it's more important to young people who are experiencing homelessness. So, music was the beginning for me, and it sent me down a road to become a musician, to become an artist. And I think I was on a journey trying to become an artist and get a record deal and be in bands in, in San Francisco in the early 90s. And uh, I got connected with a band that happened to be making some progress and, and getting record deals. And at the same time, the lead singer of the band was married to a doctor, Jake Sinclair, who decided to start an organization called Youth Industry in the Mission District. And this was such an ambitious project, but it was designed to give young people employable skills, young people who are experiencing homelessness, job training skills so that they could have an opportunity to exit homelessness. But a couple of years into the project, Jake realized that, you know, we can give people jobs and we can help them to transition out of homelessness, but they also need an opportunity to express themselves through music and art. And so he started a project called AMP and asked me to take over the music program. And I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to go in and, and make music with young people. I remember the first day I went and took my guitar and I went down to AMP and I played with some young people. And on the way home, I remember thinking how profoundly full I felt, how, how my soul felt full and complete. And one of the things that's great about music and art is that when you make something that hasn't existed before, or you make a piece of art that expresses what's inside your soul, you you feel full. You feel content and at peace. And I had that moment just by taking what I love and going and connecting with people on a real level. What I learned is we have a lot of different barriers between all of us. But when we, when we open up to music, when we open up to art, and we're creating art and music with each other, we're seeing parts of ourselves that are open for communication, where most of the times we're not open. And I, I love making music, and it was, it was an easy fit for me. 
World keeps spinning so I never sit still Spend a little more, gotta pay my mama's bills I hustled the devil, she thought she hustled me Thought she got a soul, but she ain't got peace I'm a beast, I ain't worried about no season My weed, what you see is trash, I see is opportunity Hustling by the dumpsters Well, you know, I love music too, I have to admit By the way, you should know, you mentioned rock and roll That one of our previous guests was the illustrious Roger Daltrey from the Who, that's right. <laughs> I, I just saw him. I just saw the Who in concert like a week ago here in Portland. Wow! And he said the strangest thing at the end of the concert that has been in my head for the last two weeks. He said, at the end of the concert, they were all taking their bows on stage, and he said, "Think lucky, be lucky." And then he walked off the stage. <laughs> wow! Think lucky, it, be lucky. Yeah. Well, someone out in San Francisco was thinking that because they just won the $2 billion lottery ticket the other day. They're going to need it to pay for rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not funny, but unfortunately. Not, not right? funny. Not, not funny, but unfortunately true. Well, listen, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. Yeah. And to also educate people about giving and service, right? But we do that by telling stories or hearing the stories of people like you who've dedicated your life to doing things that elevate the soul and demonstrate through your giving how your soul was fulfilled. And I think that you're a clear example of that. And we can't really move forward as a society, I don't think, until we acknowledge the power of the human spirit and how music and art in general, I think, can, can strengthen our spirits and our souls in that way. Yeah. And for you to say that you felt full doing this work is really important because Frankly, it's not easy to help people. It's not easy to make change in the world. You know, it's, right. it's, it's often that people start out thinking, I'm going to make change. And then they get into it and they realize how difficult it is and they stop. But the truth is that change is hard. Making a difference in the world is hard. There are yeah. going to be many moments during which you're going to want to just quit. There are going to be many people telling you you're nuts for even trying to do this. It's not easy to get the resources. It's not easy to get the support. It's not easy to even have people allow you to help them. But all of this is just part of what it means to make change. It's all part of it. And if we're fortunate... We can succeed, but only if we're committed to this for the long term. And you have been. What has kept you in it for 28 years, William? Well, I, I want to say this. When you were just, you brought up a couple of things in, in that point. You know, when I think about, you know, you brought up the, someone won the $2 billion jackpot. Yeah. I think about 
our society's need for wealth and what that environment has fostered, what that push for more than what we actually need. What do we need to just survive? What do we need to be a community? What do we need to be in harmony with each other? We don't need $2 billion. It would be nice, but we don't need it. And I think what I learned early on is that rather than competing for money to see who's got the most, when I started working with young people who are homeless, I immediately felt successful. Like from the minute I started, I felt I am I'm successful at this just by showing up every day. Every day, I'm at the top of my field. Now, if I was starting a, a business where I was selling jackets or shoes or, or I wanted to be in some sort of business that was really rooted in money, I would have to quantify it by how much money I took in. And that's a really competitive field. But I show up every morning and I'm already a success by showing up every single day. The longer I show up, the more successful I get, which is crazy because I've already feel like I've hit the top of my game on day one. I felt like I was already there. But to show up every day, that I always say to young people getting into this field of you know social services and working with individuals who are experiencing homelessness, I always say, this is a long game and you need to be in it for a while. That's what success really looks like is, is how long can you do this for? Because for these individuals that are trying to build community, that are trying to connect, that are isolated, that are traumatized, for you to come in, have a job for a year, and then say, oh, there's another opportunity over here, well, then you're re-abandoning somebody who needs that connection, who you are that resource for, who you are the family for. I think about our, the things my mom taught me and the way she got me through life. That's what we're trying to be at AMP. We're trying to be that family, that community that helps us on our tough days, that gets us through those moments. And to do that, you have to be there. Consistency is so important for those moments. And so we always have this conversation about self-care and how do you how do you keep going? How do you get up in the morning and keep going? If you're not convinced when you wake up in the morning, and this is what I say to everyone getting in this field, if you wake up in the morning and you're not convinced that this is where you need to be spending your day, then do something different. That should be that should be all the care you need to motivate you. When I wake up in the morning, I want to hit the ground running to get into work because I know that what I'm doing is vital. It, it makes an impact and it feeds my soul in a way that I have a perspective that I think is valuable in this day and age. I, I have a perspective of what do I actually need to survive? I need community. I need a cup of tea in the morning. And that's, you know, that's about the extent of it. You know, I need, you know, we need that. There's the value. Rather than $2 billion, I need to connect with people. I need to have people around me that are going to help me. So so in many ways, what I have gotten from this experience of doing this work for the last almost three decades is I get perspective and I get to feel full and, and successful in a way that if I was chasing dollars, I would never feel like I had enough because it's always yeah. more. Yeah. Well, let me just say this. I don't want to denigrate anyone yeah. who has gotten involved in anything for any amount of time, because I think giving of yourself for a minute, 
for an hour, for a second, giving a little bit of money can mean a lot. We found that out through another episode I did because generally people don't give sometimes because they feel that their gift isn't going to be meaningful. And we had a guest on a few podcasts before who talked about how wrong that thinking is because studies have shown that if I give William a dollar, I may think it's not going to mean that much to, to William. It may mean a three out of 10 from my perspective, but from William's perspective, that dollar means more like a seven out of 10 to him. There's a difference between what I think it means and what the recipient actually thinks it means. To the recipient, it means a lot more because we're not only valuing the dollar itself, but we're valuing the fact that someone thought to give the dollar and the two of those combine to have a much greater effect on a recipient. And what we also see through these studies is that once you receive something from someone, you're far more likely to want to give something to someone else. And so I don't want to downplay in any sense whatever a person has to give. Give it. Don't don't hold back. If it's just a day, if it's a minute, if it's a second, give it. If it's a dollar, if it's a hundred dollars, if it's two dollars, give it. Because the effect you'll have on a recipient is far greater than what you think it will be. On the other hand, I am saying that we have a world in which getting things done is hard. And we also need to uplift people and institutions that are doing this for the long term. And a lot of times it's those individuals who give us opportunities to give our dollar, to give our minute, to give our few seconds. So all of it comes together. And I don't want to make it sound like I don't value whatever a person has to give, because I do. And I don't want people who are sitting on the sidelines right now to think I don't have enough to offer. And so I'm not going to do anything. So I just wanted to make that clear. But William, your point, you're you're unusual, though, my friend, in that you've done this for 28 years. That's all. And I just want to make sure people understand that there's something to that. There's something more to that. And it's not simply listening to you. It's not simply that you've given to someone else and they benefited from it. It's also what you've gotten from it. Yeah. It's what you've gotten from it. Your soul has been enlightened and your soul has been lifted and fulfilled. That's also important for people to understand. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Let's talk about the work itself, if you don't mind. Yeah. I want to talk about what you actually are doing with these young people. Where do you find them? How do you get them in the program? What keeps them there? What draws them to to you and gives you the opportunity to help them through the trauma that they're experiencing? And what are some of the I'm asking a lot of questions. No, what are some of the some of the trauma that they have experienced that you've witnessed over the last 28 years? So let me start from your your last point, which I think is, or should I say the first point, is what people give and how they give, right? We have, this is our first year at the Artist Mentorship Program where we've actually had 
paid employees. This is our first year in 28 years. Wow. And since then, we have only been a volunteer-run organization. Everyone that comes in, everyone that teaches, everyone that connects with the youth, all volunteers, we have been generously supported by volunteers from the music and art communities since day one. They give more than any other community. But when we think about what do we have to give, what do we have to offer, we do a program at AMP called the Amplifier Program, where we just try to get people to give 25 bucks a month. We ask very little, but because we know that smaller level donors are more likely to come in and volunteer and connect. And what we understand is that coming in and building connections with kids, being in community with them, that's where we make a difference. That's, you know, we do a lot of stuff. We, we do recording sessions. We do jam sessions. We do one-on-one lessons. We do workshops, drop-ins, center, like anything. We try to let the curriculum be developed by the youth because so many of the young people we have coming in have educational trauma. We want them to learn at a pace that works for them. So what we want to do is find small ways to inspire them, connect with them, and then let them lead the curriculum. And, and we follow them down the rabbit hole of figuring out how they want to learn so that this is all working in, in a way that, that functions for them. For a lot of kids talking about the trauma that they've had, just going to education, right? If you're a young person who is experiencing homelessness and you go to high school, you didn't sleep the night before, so your sleep deprivation is, is impacted. You're malnourished because you didn't have breakfast. You don't have clean clothes or contemporary clothes. And you're, you're struggling to feel comfortable in an environment that is incredibly stressful. And then you've got someone standing over your chair, uh, looking over your shoulder. That's a teacher that's trying to really deliver information in a banking style of education. That's traumatizing for kids. For a lot of kids that have had no resources or no you know understanding of how a support system's built in, that's traumatizing. But for the young people we have coming into our space, uh, sex trafficking, drug addiction, neglect, malnourishment, isolation, physical abuse, verbal abuse, a lot of these young people have witnessed murder. They've witnessed assaults. They've witnessed sexual abuse. They've witnessed some of the things that, you know, when, when people come back from combat and they've experienced horrific things and they have post-traumatic stress disorder, a lot of our young people are experiencing the same level of trauma by, by witnessing the same kind of violence. But for developing brains between the age of 15 and 25, these can have massive ramifications. The anxiety that young people experience already without, without having gone through these things can basically stop them in their tracks. When we talk about self-advocacy, right? How, how do we become advocates for ourselves so that we're going after the things that are going to keep us safe? The young people that come in the doors to AMP are still working to just try and understand what that looks like. And so on our best days, we're, we're helping to, to build the self-worth in young people so that they can go out and advocate for themselves, so that they can say, you know what, maybe housing is, is in my future. Maybe I need to go into that social service agency and ask for a housing voucher, ask for support around food or food stamps, or, you know, maybe my apartment does need furniture. So maybe I can connect with community warehouse and, and, and to advocate for themselves in a way really comes from self-worth and having, having support systems to say, Hey, you know what? I bet we could get you connected to that housing resource that home plates offering, because they're doing an amazing job getting kids connected to houses. And, and so that's how AMP is, is, is functioning. But on 
on a very real level, we're just trying to be there to support young people and using music and art as a way to heal trauma. Fantastic. How do you find how do you find these young people? Is it now word of mouth? How do you how did they get to you? Well, if if you need a resource and you're experiencing homelessness, there are communities, you know, once you get attached to one agency, one of the things that's great is if you were to walk in the door to AMP and you said, where can I go for a meal? I might say, go to Pear. I might say, go to New Avenues for Youth, go to Outside Inn, go to Nair, go to Janice Youth Services, go to Home Plate in Beaverton or Hillsboro. I would refer youth to places that I knew fit the need that they were looking for. And so the same thing's happening with AMP. If a youth walked into outside the frame because they were working on learning how to use a camera and doing some great work over there, and they said to them, hey, you know, where can I go and record music or learn how to play the guitar or the piano? They would say, you know what, you should connect with AMP. But mostly young people are great at communicating and sharing the word with each other. And and what happens is, Art, is the identity of street families sort of form. We need community no matter what. And so when young people are, are experiencing homelessness, their ability to form communities and, and stay safe with each other happens almost immediately. So when one youth decides, oh, I'm going to AMP, the other youth says, I'm going with you because the other chances are I'm not safe out here. And so we need to stay together and stay in a, in a community. And so kids kind of come in groups, you know, and they stay together and, and I do not blame them one, one little bit. Well, let's hear a little bit of the music. So, William, what I want to know now is when you interact with young people, what happens to them? What happens to them as you begin to give them this great opportunity to experience music and performance in a way that you offer them? It, you know, it takes a while to learn to connect and to understand what's happening with the young folks that are coming in, right? We know that, that having a safe space. That's the first thing, right? What we want to see in young people is we want to see them put their pack down, right? Because they've been carrying it all day. We want to see them take a deep breath and just settle for a second, right? If you, if you think about the day-to-day survival that happens for young people, constantly having to source food, source shelter, source community, stay safe, to put your pack down, take a deep breath, settle, then what happens is if you're in a safe space, you feel safe, you trust the location you're in, then you can start to explore different sort of avenues, figure out things that really speak to your soul. And for a lot of our young kids, that's where the music comes in. And so sometimes we'll just play music and we'll just groove with people and we'll 
We'll listen to music that they want to listen to, or we'll listen to music that we want to suggest. And then sometimes we'll just pick up an instrument and just start jamming. Uh, some kids come in and they've had classical training from school and they've had all those experiences and they missed it. Kids come in and they pick up a saxophone. They just start playing. You go, I had, how did you learn saxophone? I took it for three years in high school before everything went sideways and I ended up out in the streets. Mm. But for a lot of these kids, it's us following them and, and watching what happens and supporting them in a way that is not us forcing education on them. Because what we want is we want these young people to be their own educators. We want them to become invested in it, excited about it, and see potential. Every kid comes into our space, and almost every single one of them says, oh, I'm no good at the drums. You've never tried the drums. I just know it. I just know I'm never be good at the drums. So our goal with our mentors is just get them on a simple beat. And if we can get them on a simple beat and surround them with, you know, like our mentors who are incredible musicians, next thing you know, the young person is playing in a band format that is killing it. And they go, oh, my God, maybe, maybe I do have the ability to be a drummer. And then we get out of the way and we say, great, come and use the drum set. What do we need to do to support you? Did you want these lessons? How do you want to learn? What works for you? Because we want to make lifetime learners. We don't want to use what we call the banking style of education, which is if you come in and you sit in the chair correctly and you're, you're, you know, your posture is correct, I'll give you all the information. We want these kids to go and find and be the, the directors of their own knowledge. And so we follow their lead and let them develop the curriculum and, and push as much as we can, but also recognize that these young people are coming from a, a place of great trauma. And we need to recognize that when we're interacting with them. So what kind of outcomes are you seeing? I mean, for us, outcomes are how do we connect kids to resources? How are we building connections? And how often are youth coming back and being a part of our community? Hard thing to quantify for grants, right? How do you, how do you communicate to people that love and compassion are valuable, right? That's an outcome. How do we communicate that we're building connections with kids. Because when you think about art, when you wake up in the morning, why you're here, why you do what you do, what got you to where you are, I guarantee you there is a family member or someone of value behind that. No doubt. If you never, if you never had that, if I never had my mother or my brother or my sister pushing me the way that they did, I would not be here today. I would not have the, the self-worth. My brother and sister always used to tell me I was the smart one. And I loved that because it made me feel special. It made me feel seen and it made me feel valuable. And so I always think, what do these kids need? What is an outcome that's good for these kids? Knowing that they are cared for, knowing that they have developed self-worth, knowing that they have value for themselves so that they're going to move their lives in a way that is productive and helping them to protect themselves, advocate for themselves and move out of homelessness. And I think what we have as a society is, like I said in the beginning, we very much view individuals experiencing homelessness as the others. And what we need to do is recognize that these human beings are victims of trauma. And we need to support people in our community who are victims of trauma, who are victims of violence, especially the children. We need to connect with these kids and build those supports. And, and when my kids are sick, I bring them medicine. 
I get them a, you know, a bowl of soup, a cheese sandwich. I want the same thing for every single kid that is experiencing homelessness. They need the same ex- opportunities. They need the same support systems. So for us, an outcome is how are we building connections with youth? How are we building advocates out of our volunteer pool? When people come in and volunteer at our organization and they don't know a lot about what's going on in, in communities that are experiencing homelessness, how do we help to create an informed community of volunteers that then become advocates for communities who are going through this trauma? Mm. Right? Because we will not make a dent unless we have a, an entire society shift on why are people experiencing homelessness and what can we do to support them? And that comes from understanding why. Wide awake I lay, reminiscing on the better days When your love was all I craved, so full of grace As we dance, crying in each other's embrace Now I look back in this taste You took my love and threw it in my face I asked for a break So to all of our listeners, you've been listening to William Kendall Who is one of the early volunteers He's been with them now 28 years as a volunteer With the Artist Mentorship Program which is an amazing program that you've now heard about. And I hope you'll find a way to support. William, I can't thank you enough for being with us today and for all the work you've done over the last 28 years to help young people who are experiencing trauma and homelessness find community, find ways to move past what they've experienced to something better, And also to your volunteers who've joined you in this effort over these last 28 years to make a difference. To all of our listeners, thank you for listening. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. There are more than 100 episodes of the Heart of Giving podcast. And I am certain that there are many that you'll find so interesting that they will inspire you on days when maybe your spirits are down a little bit. And if you're not yet providing the kind of impact that you want to have, you'll be able to learn and take great insight from what they've done. So thank you for listening. We'll be back here next week with another edition of the Heart of Giving podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can go to give.org and make a donation. And we will certainly appreciate it and put it to good use. Thank you. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.